everybody, welcome to another episode of Two Strike Noise, your favorite baseball history podcast in the history of all baseball history podcasts. I'm one half of the show. My name is Jeff. The other half of the show, who thankfully is remote this week, is Mark A. Johnston. And I say that because Mark is wearing some of the new Nike pants. <laughs> so I'm glad you turned the camera off, first of yeah, all. Yeah, they're very comfortable. It's like you're not even wearing them. Right. All right, I'm just going to leave that one alone. Let's let's talk about some actual baseball instead of Mark's perceived endowments, I guess. Let's go ahead and get right into our BP segment. Mark, first of all, college baseball underway. I've mentioned several for several weeks now because I watch college baseball and softball. Waiting for the regular season to start here. Sacramento State, just up the, the road a little bit from me here. A player started out the season apparently on somebody's bad list matt mascanelagio i can't say oh his matt yeah we're just gonna call him matt he is a he's a junior 511 junior out of huntington beach california playing for the sacramento state uh, i don't know what they are. are they the solons i don't even know what they are i feel really bad that i don't know what that is but wow they did not well maybe they had a great scouting report on him i don't know first three games of the season they're opening up against Loyola Marymount. He got hit eight times in the first three games. Wow. Eight that's times. Awesome. No, that's well, I'm he's on base percentage is awesome, but I'm guessing it's not awesome for him. Oh, I'm I'm a big fan of the players that get hit by the pitch all the time. You know, Craig Biggio and and now my guy Ty France, who's must just stand right over the plate because he gets hit so much more than but has than he ever anyone. been close to being hit eight times in three games? Not that I'm aware of yeah. that I remember, no. So I'm guessing that the scouting report was like, dude cannot hit an inside pitch to save his life. <laughs> Maybe is he is he chopping at these things? What's going on with that? Is he crowding the plate? Well, even if he's crowding the plate, I mean. Well, eight... I mean, let's say not crowding. Let's say like, you know, hugging it. No, but Loyola Marymount does not like him. No fights, though. Like. How do you let somebody get hit eight times and not retaliate in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just don't like him. Yeah, maybe know. his teammates don't like him. Maybe that's that's probably what it is. Let's see. I went to Fans Fest this last weekend here in Oakland, a, a fan-sponsored get-together, because the Oakland A's are certainly not going to give anything to the fans. Something was going on uh, during this. First of all, it was great. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail about it, but it was fantastic. I had a great time. Uh, a lot of chants, some that I'm not going to repeat here on our Safe for Work podcast. But one of the chants that happens at, at A's games, and if you're an A's fan, you, you, you do it all the time. It's let's go Oakland, right? Let's go Oakland. Sure. And, and I, I, it came to me is I didn't this is not an original thought but as somebody brought it up I was thinking about it any other teams chant where they mention the city in the chant mm. you know there's like let's go Cubs go Leafs go let's go Dodgers nobody nobody's saying here we go San Diego here we go or, or anything <laughs> this, like this that is right true. It, yeah you're, you're pretty stuck on one or two syllable team yeah so I don't, I, and I'm asking for help here because I obviously don't know every team's go-to chant. I, I'm wondering if there is any other 
team and in any other sport for that matter, even that mentions the city as opposed to the team name. Hmm. And, you know, I can't come up with any. The A's, A's, that's one syllable. So it's kind of hard to work that into a chant, I guess. In Oakland. <laughs> That's true. Here we go. A's. Here we go. <laughs> well, how the hot dog guy who is, is a famous vendor. He was a famous vendor at the Coliseum goes around and he would always start a chant. Well, he starts many chants. And one of my favorite ones that he does is he goes, give me an A. And then everyone goes, A. And then he stops. That's it. <laughs> It's, it's, that's the whole chain. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Let's see. Speaking of the Oakland Athletics and uh, my favorite player of all time, Ricky Henderson. I found a autographed Ricky Henderson baseball that was up for auction that he had signed with several of his superlatives from his career, including two-time gold glove. He only won one. Maybe, maybe he believes he, he should have won a second one. I guess when you win the MVP, you kind of, he might feel that you are owed a gold glove that season. Even if you were a DH and you win the MVP. Yeah. I would say it's probably worth more than a ball that he signed just gold glove. Let's buy it. Let's do it. All right. <laughs> it's done and done. Why, why wouldn't you? Uh, I'm watching a lot of spring training games. I'm sure you and a lot of our listeners are enjoying them. Seeing a lot of brothers and sons of former or current players during spring training. There's more of them this year. I don't know if I'm just paying more attention to them. Like I saw Raphael Deaver's brother last night. Had no idea he had a brother, let alone that he played baseball. I saw this guy playing for the Marlins. I'll give you one guess who his father is. Griffin Conine. I have no idea. I'm thinking Jeff. <laughs> No, it's Rene Gonzalez. No, of course, oh, of course. It's I should have known that. Too. But, I knew that. By the way, I've used Rene Gonzalez several times in Immaculate Grid the last couple of weeks. Good score right there. I'm just telling you the original number 88, Rene Gonzalez. Yeah, Griffin Conine playing for the Marlins, of course. I guess if your father is Mr. Marlin, you got to get drafted by the Marlins. Uh, also, this was a great story I heard. One of the great things about spring training is you get a lot of guys in the booth that you're not going to get during the regular season, or they might be on a headset down. Like I was watching the Mets game today. Daryl Strawberry's there. They had him on for a couple innings. So you get a lot of a lot of former players, especially. And I heard a great story here. This goes into the Manny being Manny category of Manny Ramirez. When he came up as a rookie... A couple of players on the team convinced him that he needed a passport to travel to Texas when they were playing the Rangers. Awesome. <laughs> That's so hilarious. <laughs> That's almost as good as the guy that pretended he was deaf. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For uh, it's the greatest practical joke against, of all time. Yeah, they did that to Jeff Francoeur in El Paso. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Let's see. We had our first Lars Newbar sighting of the year, of the spring. Uh, About for, time. Yeah. I first, missed Lars. Well, first of all, Lars needs to play for the Red Sox because Newt Bah. Newt Bah. Newt Bah. Newt I like bah. it. I think that's that's kind of made for, for Boston. But he was hitting, he was just taking BP on like a side field. And apparently he hit one and it shattered the windshield of a car that was parked beyond the fence. Who parks their car anywhere near a baseball stadium? Uh, Especially a a major league. Yeah, I mean, I think this person deserved it. 
if I'm being honest. No, I'm with you 100%. I, though, if that was my car, I would scoop up all those little pieces of glass because, you know, it's a car. So when it breaks, they're just those little tiny pieces. And I would sell them in Japan because they're Lars Newtbar crazy. I would sell them as little pieces of glass at Lars Newtbar. You know, Ooh, yeah, I just one dollar, one yen, whatever, because there's got to be a thousand of them. Make a quick buck or a quick yen. Again, full of ideas. Not great, but Man. I've got ideas. No, that one's not bad. <laughs> Let's see. A lot of expansion talk in MLB right now. I think it's because Rob Manford feels like he solved the Rays and the A's. You know, those are so close to being done that now he's ready to talk expansion. I was thinking, Mark, where in the lower 48 states? So we're going to exclude Alaska and Hawaii. I'm sorry if you're listening to us in Alaska and Hawaii. Just not, you're not going to get a major league team. If, if you don't know that already, I hate to be the one to break it to you, but you're not going to. Where in the lower 48 states would you think would be the last place to locate an expansion franchise? Boy, um, Vermont. I My choice was Winnemucca, Nevada. Oh, sure. Winnemucca. Great place. I have no idea what you're talking about. Winnemucca sure is awesome. like dead in the middle. It's in the center of Nevada. When we used to drive back and forth from the Bay Area to Salt Lake City, that's always where we'd stop for the night at the old Red Lion Inn and Casino because it was right in the middle of the state of Nevada and Listen, I'm sure that the Winnemucca Chamber of Commerce has done a lot to improve the city of Winnemucca, Nevada in the last 40 years or whatever it's been. No, I you know what? I went through Winnemucca like three years ago. It was still fantastic. I say facetiously. That's where I would say or Montpelier, North Dakota. What's the capital of North Dakota? Montpelier is in Vermont, man. What? <laughs> Wasn't that my answer? <laughs> well, you said Vermont. I Montpelier is the capital of Vermont, isn't it? Yeah, yes. I, what is the capital of North Dakota? Is it Pierre? I think it's N. N. Oh, you mean, I thought I was thinking capital letter. <laughs> See, people, <laughs> I don't get enough credit for editing this podcast because I got to sift through stuff like that all, every week. You do. You don't get enough credit for that. I, I got to say, if we win any editing awards, I can't even walk up on stage with you. <laughs> I think it's Pierre, right? I knew it was something like Montpelier and Pierre is similar. I don't know. I don't think North Dakota is going to get a expansion franchise. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I got I got a good friend from North Dakota. They they love their uh, hockey. Yeah, and, and I believe it's I think it's Bismarck in North Dakota. Bismarck. What's South Dakota then? And uh, why do we have to have a North and South Dakota? Can't we just merge them? No, those people don't really like each other. I oh, think. okay. When no, the, Pierre is South Dakota, so you were close. All right, enough geography. Uh, let let us know where you think. And if anybody says Oakland, I swear I will come and I will I will find you. Last place in the lower forty eight that uh, MLB would locate an expansion franchise. You let think us know. we have any listeners in Winnemucca? They win a special prize if they. I don't think us. they have. I don't think they have internet in Winnemucca. Oh, harsh, man. Yeah. We should totally do a live show from Winnemucca, from Winnemucca. Nevada. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's get a GoFundMe going. Well, I'm, I'm hoping that if the Red Lion Inn and Casino is still there, that they will comp us and want us there. You would think. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, we'll do ha- half of the show will be there. Why don't you go there? I've had enough when I'm up there. <laughs> I just want to remind everybody as uh, opening day is coming up, it is that time of year again where if you if you need MLB.TV, that uh, you can get it for half off all you have to do. Now, again, we make no money off of this. This is not sponsored. But if you become a member of the MLBPA, you can, which is like $25, $20, something like that. It's really cheap. You do that. They send you a code that gets you half off MLB TV. So it is a really great deal. Mark, I know you don't need that because you've got T-Mobile or whatever it is that gives you a free MLB TV. Is that still going on? Yeah. They have for the last like three seasons, so I, I'm certainly hoping they do again. All right, for well, 2024. If you're like me and a big fan of uh, Lily from AT and T, you don't get that, so you got to have some other way of getting MLB.TV. And don't forget that also comes with MILB TV since last year, which is great because I used to pay extra for that. Now it's all included, and it's half off. So. Uh, again, just uh, go to the MLB PA uh, website. There's instructions there. You will get emails from Jim Tomei and other people as well. Personalized, sent directly to you. Easy. Yeah, absolutely. Easy as that. Mark, we got a suggestion from one of our longtime listeners. Somebody that both you and I got to meet uh, separately during last year. Uh, longtime uh, listener, Marshall who usually gets us in, in kangaroo court, but he came up with a great idea. This is something that uh, we had kicked around a while ago, but when, when he proposed it, it sounded like a great idea. So if it's not good, you know who to blame, but I think this is going to be good. So this is show number 242 for us. So uh, what Marshall suggested is that for each uh, show, we come up with a stat that is relevant to the show number. So in this case, we're looking for 242. That could be a batting average. It could be a compiled number. It could be whatever. Let's say there's no rules here except for it has to do with baseball. So uh, for example, Mark, my 242 stat was 242 career doubles. I found this interesting that both Slide and Billy Hamilton, that's the the old Billy Hamilton, not the uh, not the new one that can't get on base to use his speed, but the Slide and Billy Hamilton and Tim McCarver, known speedster. Oh yeah. Both have the same amount of career doubles and that is 242. Very nice. How does somebody I guess Billy Hamilton would just stay on first so that he could advance to third on a single and pick up a stolen base. So he didn't want to go to second. That's why he only had 242. But what what the number did you come up with? Well, I wanted to talk about uh, Ichiro's rookie season, 2001, when he won uh, MVP and Rookie of the Year, a gold glove, a silver slugger, and was an all-star. Quite a good year hitting 350. Jeez. But his on-base was only 381 as he walked 30 well, times. He's not up there so to he, walk. <laughs> it's no. Japan's an island. You can't walk right. off the island. Right. That, but that, uh, that incredible rookie year was punctuated by 242 hits. Wow. Yeah, he hit 350. So, yeah, 242 Ichiro rookie season. So, you told me this. That is uh, Ichiro's rookie season. He went on then, though, to also break the all-time single-season hit record in 2004 with 262. Well, we know hmm. what our we know what our our show fact is going to be in twenty shows. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah two or three seventy two that year. Jeez, and that broke the mark that was set in nineteen twenty by George Sisler. Yeah, 
Gorgeous George yeah. was his nickname. Yeah. And then third on that list is Lefty O'Doul. All right, Mark, trivia time. I know we missed a show last week, but the trivia that we asked prior to that was, who was the first player that struck out 100 times in a season without hitting a home run? I think that, well, Joe, I was going to say that might happen more lately, but it doesn't. It's only happened three times in the history of the game. Oh, wow. But I was thinking that maybe it happened more recently because guys strike out more, but no, because guys also hit hit a lot more home runs. Sure. Surprisingly, Brian Krause got this answer correct. He's always the first guy to jump Brian in never there. Misses. No, he doesn't. The answer, 1906, Billy Maloney. Remember Billy, Billy? from the... Uh, well, I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah, the uh, Billy Mahoney from the, what was the Brooklyn? Were they the bridegrooms at that point? No, they were the Superbas. Oh, my favorite team. Yeah, 1906, he had 116 strikeouts, which led the league in no home runs. Wow. Yeah. That, that's rough. For his career, by the way, let's see, he was a catcher outfielder. <laughs> no, catcher center fielder is what he's listed at. He played all the outfield positions. Kind of an odd Interesting combo mix there. Yeah. In his uh, six years in baseball, he did hit six home runs. And one year in 1905, he led the league with 59 stolen bases. But he also led the league in strikeouts three consecutive years. That's really strange. Almost had as many career strikeouts as career hits. Not much in terms of making contact. Also to do that, Manny Lee from the Blue Jays back in 1991. And Michael Bourne, 2015. Oh, wow. It's just, it's so odd to to see somebody with no home runs. Yeah, they have no power, but they're still striking out all the time. Yeah, and back before, I guess, steroids you could just not be a power hitter. That was a thing, but it's not anymore. Like you just run into a, a home run now that that was a, a yeah. interesting question, but congratulations to Brian Krause for that new trivia question. Oh, I didn't look. We probably have debuts coming up next show. I didn't look for oh, this. Stuff. Yeah, I'm excited right. about that, but uh, here's a trivia question. What major league team has never had a rookie hit a home run on the first career at bat? Never. Never. Wow, that's a good one. There's all, and you can't use stat head for this one, I don't think. I don't think this one will, was gonna is going to do that. Only major league team to never have a rookie hit a home run on their first career at bat. So Was uh, it the Superbas? No, they did. And you know very well that the Superbas went on to become the Brooklyn Dodgers. I'm sure the Dodgers have had a rookie hit a home run in their first game. Yeah, I'm going to say they have. That's not the answer. So, you know, keep moving. All right, let's go through our our main story. Let's get to our main story. Ground screws out here. They're doing a fine job down here in spring training. They're in mid-season form already. But uh, let's go ahead and jump into the main topic today. Mark, I have got a story. First, I wanted to talk about somebody we talk about quite a bit on this podcast, but we've never done a full-on story about him. And that's Hack Wilson. Oh, sure. Hack Wilson, legend. Hack attack. Uh, A couple of things should come to mind when you hear the name Hack Wilson. Uh, First and foremost, 1930. Possibly one of the greatest single offensive seasons ever put up by a human in this universe. Second, fighting. Third, something that is often related to fighting, and that is booze. So this pretty much sounds like a typical episode from us. It's going to be an old-timey baseball player. No farm accidents, however, but uh, booze and a lot of it. The latter, B 
being the booze was something that uh, young Lewis Wilson learned about early as both of his parents were raging alcoholics. He was born when both of them were only 17 years old. His mom, unfortunately, passed away seven years later. Following his mother's funeral, his father up and left. He said, I'm out. And Hack was raised by a woman who owned the boarding house that his father had paid for a room in until he left. Lewis dropped out of school after sixth grade, worked for a printer, and he would haul large reams of paper and other heavy equipment. Hack had a very unique appearance. He became very strong by hauling all of this equipment, but he was short. He was 5'6". And I'm sorry to all our short kings out there calling 5'6 is short, but that's short. Yeah, I mean, I'm taller than 5'6", and I'm a little guy. <laughs> well, he was 5'6", height-wise. He was almost as wide as he was tall, but it was all muscle. Right. Legendary sports writer Shirley Povich once said Wilson was, quote, built along the lines of a beer keg. Despite his size, though, his hands and feet were exceedingly small. He wore a size five and a half shoe. That's small. That's my kind of guy. (laughs) You don't wear a five and a half. I do. I wear a five. It's hard to get shoes without Power Rangers or Sonic the Hedgehog. (laughs) Then they all have Velcro, too, which is (laughs) a lot of them. Yeah. Until eBay came along, finding shoes, adult shoes was very difficult for me. Wow. Okay, this is something I did not know. All right. Well, there are theories that Hack may have suffered from fetal alcohol syndrome, and it frankly wouldn't be a shock given what we know about his parents. Wilson broke into the big leagues with the New York Giants in 1923. His first three years as a Giant were just okay. He was mainly a bench player. He did manage at one point to hit the longest home run hit at Ebbets Field in 1925. And then two months later, he crushed two home runs in the same inning. But the manager of the Giants, John McGraw, never really a big fan of Hack. And after slumping in 1925, Wilson was demoted to double A. It hurt, obviously. You get sent from the big leagues down to double A. But it ended up being a blessing for young Hackley. Hacker, Hackerson. I don't know what the formal of hack is. Let's talk about the nickname before we go any further. Nobody is 100% sure how he got that nickname, but there are a couple of theories that, frankly, all seem plausible. Two origins are similar and refer to the fact that he looked like somebody else who was already called hack. One of them was uh, George Hackenschmidt, who was a professional wrestler of the day. Nice. If George Hackenschmidt was not called the Hacksaw, I'm giving up on giving out awesome nicknames. Oh, man. Yeah, he had to be. The other person he looked like was Hack Miller, who was another baseball player at that time. The third theory is that his squat body bore some resemblance to a taxi cab of the time. Cabs used to, and I, I think still are, referred to sometimes as hacks. Are we perhaps, though, overlooking the most obvious origin? Guys who go up there and swing hard and hit the ball hard might just be called hack because they take big hacks, right? Yes, they're, they're taking their hacks. They get it. They make sure they get their money's worth. Let's get Jeff Leonard on the phone right Ooh. now. And you notice you I called, called him Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, because remember, he screwed me in Wax Packs Heroes a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> and I told him I was not going to forget. You still won. Why? I don't know why you're still. But I think I lost that week because of Jeff Leonard. <laughs> All right. Back to the story. Since being demoted to double A, the Giants kind of forgot that they had stuck him down there. 
And after the season was over, they didn't pick up his option, which automatically left him unprotected, meaning that other teams were eligible to draft him. And that's just what happened. The Cubs snapped him up. Joe McCarthy, who had taken over uh, as manager of the Cubs, he and Hack hit it off. They were like best friends. It's kind of one of those situations, too, where a player and a manager just click, and that manager knows how to get the best out of the player, kind of like the way that Billy Martin used to be able to do that with Ricky Henderson. He just he understood Ricky's brain, how he worked, and Ricky always played better for Billy Martin. Yeah. So McCarthy, he had his hands full with Hack, even though they got along famously. But he also had one of the most potent bats in baseball from 1926 to 1930. Case in point, May 24th, 1926, Hack Wilson hits the center field scoreboard with one of the longest home runs ever in Wrigley Field history as the Cubs come from behind and beat Boston. Later that same evening... Hack was arrested during a police raid. This is during the, this is during prohibition uh, of a speakeasy. We mentioned this before when he debuted. I remember I, I looked this up. He was trying to escape through a rear window while the police came in the front of the speakeasy. Uh, they caught him and he was fined a dollar. Oh, I just really hope that it was a small window because he was kind of a big guy. And he was just struggling to get through it and was only like halfway. And his feet are just kicking, trying to get through. And they're just laughing and pointing. (laughs) And the mental picture there is hilarious. I know. I just really hope that's the way that it went down. Let's see. McCarthy overlooked a lot when it came to Hack. He was once quoted as saying, Hack usually played in the outfield, but I'd put him at first base because I I wouldn't want him to have to stagger as far out of the dugout to his position. Wilson, though, always insisted that he never played drunk. Hungover, yes, but drunk, never, according to according to Hack. There's another incident from 1928 that must be shared when talking about Hack hitting things. It was doubleheader in Wrigley Field, and in the second game, Wilson grounded out, and on the way back to the dugout, there's a milkman in the stands. I, I know he's a milkman because the article said so. I'm not sure if he was there in like an all white outfit with a little white bow tie and the you know the milkman hat. I don't Carrying know that little carrier that yeah know, the, the six pack of, of milk. I don't know. I just know he was a milkman. He's sitting in the stands and he's called Edward Young, and he starts to heckle Hack from the stands. I'm not sure what was said. I'm sure there was some colorful language from the the bleacher bum up there, but he essentially told Hack that he sucked and he should be benched. This is, this is Hack Wilson, who would lead the league in home runs for three straight seasons, knock in 120 and have a 404 on base percentage that year. But sure, yeah, he should totally be benched for grounding out that one time. Yeah, what a loser. Yeah. Hack did not care for this language one bit, and he headed into the stands, as many players in this time would tend to do, uh, and he wanted to show Young just how much he didn't like it. Uh, If you see a picture of Hack Wilson, and I have already described him as has Shirley Povich, uh, he's essentially a fire plug with legs. Uh, Hack got in some good licks before other players jumped in to separate them. Young was arrested and thrown in milk jail. I don't know. Uh, Wilson faced a, a fine from the league, but the big news was that the milkman, Young, filed a $50,000 lawsuit against the Cubs and Hack Wilson. 
that's nearly a million dollars in today's money. So it was a big lawsuit back then. We'll revisit that shortly. Just put that one on the shelf. We'll come back here in a minute to that. So fast forward to July 4th later that year, literally two weeks after the Milkman episode. Guess what? Another doubleheader at Wrigley. Bunch of them. In the second game, Wilson singled, and he's standing on first base. Uh, This is against the Cincinnati Reds. And one of the Reds pitchers starts chirping at him from the dugout. Words are exchanged because, of course, Hack Wilson can't let that go. And this Reds pitcher, Ray Culp, challenges Wilson to come and get some in the Reds dugout. He doesn't, he's not going to go out there, but if he wants part of Ray, come into our dugout. Seems like a lot of false bravado to ask somebody you're drawing at to come into your dugout. Right, yeah. Come on, tough guy. Well, Hack Wilson said, let's work. And he jumped into the Reds dugout. Landed a clean blow to Kolb's jaw and sent him sprawling before he was tackled. After the game, both teams were headed out of town. Unfortunately, they were headed out of town on the same train. Ooh. Yeah, Wilson's still mad. He's looking for Kolb at the train station. The previously mouthy pitcher had already hunkered down in the Reds' private railroad car. He wasn't coming out. Probably couldn't chirp anymore after that cross that Hack had landed earlier on his jaw. But Reds pitcher Pete Donahue, who had started that second game, by the way, he's the one that gave up Wilson's single before this all went down. He got in Wilson's face, essentially telling Hack, hey, if you want some more, me and the rest of the boys were down. Before he finished getting that sentence out of his mouth, pow, right in the kisser. To the moon. moon. Was that, that's what they, they used to say at that point. Wilson leveled him. So, one thing we've learned today is if you challenge Hack Wilson to a fight, he is not going to say no, and he's also going to start immediately. Like He's, <laughs> he's not going to wait around and, you know, lay down some ground rules. He's just going to start swinging. Maybe he was a bit impulsive. Yes. <laughs> you think? By the end of the season, Wilson led the National League in RBI with 159. He hit 345 and a 425 on base. 39 home runs, and he led the Cubs into the World Series against the Philadelphia Athletics. A's were up two games to one, but the Cubs were ahead in game four. They're up eight to nothing, bottom of the seventh inning, and Wilson lost two separate fly balls in the sun. A's took advantage of this. They scored 10 runs. They won the game. They go on to win the World Series four games to one. This is a touchy subject for Wilson for the rest of his life. Uh, Obviously, fans would bring it up to him all the time when they were heckling him. Other players would bring it up. I don't think that's a good idea, uh, knowing what we know about Hack Wilson, but they did. Apparently, during the offseason, a lot of baseball players at this point took to boxing to earn extra money. Often, these matches happen to be against other baseball players. This should shock nobody, but Hack Wilson was very good at this. He was scheduled for a fight with White Sox first baseman Art Shires that would have guaranteed him a payday for the fight equal to that of his yearly salary from the Cubs. Wow. So in one fight, which he undoubtedly would have won, he would have made as much as he made for the whole baseball season. Commissioner Kennesaw Landis finally stepped in and and he said something along the lines of, listen, I usually only step in to keep minorities out of the game. But in this case, I'm going to say no more prize fights for ballplayers or you will be considered retired permanently from baseball. He was looking after his fellow man is what you're saying. (laughs) Oh, yes. 
looking after his uh, fellow owner's investments is what he was doing. The calendar year ended, but Edward Young, remember the foul-mouthed milkman? Yes. So his lawsuit comes up in court against the Cubs and, and Hack, and that gets dismissed, and immediately he files a new one. But this one only names Wilson, takes the Cubs out of the picture. He's just going after after Hack. Like the first one, this one would take a while to go through trial. But right before spring training, Wilson found himself in front of a judge facing the milkman. Uh, as the trial started, something pretty important came to light. Uh, something pretty important came to light, though, about good old Eddie the milkman. It seems during this doubleheader, he had been drinking. No. I mean, that's what Cubs fans have always done, right? Especially during a doubleheader. Yeah, I was going to say it. Wrigley, he was drinking? Yeah, but remember before when uh, we talked about Hack getting stuck trying to crawl out a window of a speakeasy because alcohol was illegal at this point. Oh, right. The milkman drinking and being drunk here, that's uh, kind of a big problem in this lawsuit. To add to that, several other players were called as witnesses, including none other than Gabby Hartnett, because he's got to be involved in every story we do. Yeah. And they all collaborated Wilson's uh, story that he was, he was, despite the fact that he went into the stands and hit somebody, he was okay. The jury took 25 minutes. They came back and ruled in favor of Hack. Hack did his best to atone for the uh, World Series gaffes in 1930. He did that by having, as I mentioned earlier, the greatest offensive season in the history of the game, in my mind. That's led, for sure. Yeah, I mean, he, unbelievable. He led the league in home runs with 56, RBI with that record 191, as well as 105 walks. Let's see, he hit 356 that year, had a 454 on base, and a 723 slugging. That is gracious. Just, what was his OPS? OPS was league leading 1.177. Okay, that's pretty good. That's pretty darn good is right. Let's see, he had 208 hits. I mean, he hit. Other than just hitting the long ball, he hit. Obviously drove in a lot of runs, stole three bases. Got thrown out three times as well. But, I mean, all this led to an MVP award. Also laid down 18 sacrifice bunts. That's incredible. <laughs> Why? Why? <laughs> That's almost 20 at-bats worth of you're not hitting a home run. He also led the league in walks with 105. So, I mean, you know, he a lot of times he got on base without even uh, getting to swing the bat. Hit by pitch once, which that's incredible <laughs> that he was only hit one time. <laughs> that would not happen now. No. Overall, a 7.4 war for the season. Didn't lead the league in war, though. Not that they were handing out awards for war at that point, but just, I mean, an incredible season. Uh, after that year, though, Joe McCarthy left the Cubs, and he went on to manage, of course, the Yankees, taking over a skipper for the Cubs, Hannes Wagner. Now, while McCarthy and Wilson were like peanut butter and chocolate, Wagner and Hack were like eggplant and literally anything that even remotely tastes good. Like they they don't go to they don't go together. Eggplant's gross. I actually like eggplant, man. Eggplant parmesan. Well, see, you're weird. That, well, yeah. So, nineteen thirty one season was Wilson's worst in Chicago. 
So he he comes off this incredible year, only hit 261, 362 on base. He only hit 13 home runs, 61 RBI. He didn't strike out a whole lot relatively, you know, compared to what he used to do, but just an awful season. So he had 130 fewer RBIs than the year before. Yeah. Just not, not, not good. Hundred, you hit 130 RBI now, and that's like a you're an MVP candidate. Absolutely, that's hilarious. Yeah. So, uh, da, 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 da. it was his worst year, as I mentioned, in Chicago, and he was eventually dealt to the Dodgers, where he spent two and a half seasons, where he struggled with both injuries and alcohol. He split 1934 between the Dodgers and Phillies, and then that was it. Three years removed. I'm sorry, four years removed from his his record-setting season, and he's out of professional baseball. In retirement, Wilson became a partner in a pool hall in his hometown, which is not in Iowa, for all you music man aficionados. This is not the, it's not the pool hall there in River City. He spent most of his time there drinking with friends and comping a lot of their bar tabs. He also got pretty friendly with a woman that worked there at the bar, eventually divorcing his wife to marry this barmaid. For the next 18 years, he bounced between jobs, barely making ends meet. He was in and out of the hospital because of the years of drinking and hard living until he finally passed away in 1948 at the age of 48. His body was left unclaimed at the morgue until enough money from passing the hat around his favorite bars was made to be able to come and get his body and, and bury him. Hack was inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1979 via the Veterans Committee. If you ask me, there's a reason he didn't get in during the eligibility period after retiring. Hack only played for 12 years in the majors. He ended up with 244 career home runs. Almost 25% of those were hit in 1930 alone. Almost 20% of his lifetime 1,063 RBI were driven in in that one season as well. Overall, Hack led the league in home runs at 1.5 of six seasons in a row, equaling the feat in strikeouts as well. If you could get into the Hall of Fame on a single season, there is no better argument than Hack Wilson. But the, the, the Hall would also be littered with Shane Spencers and Brady Andersons and Lou Bordeaux. This is true. Yeah, that's a good point. They should have a wing, just a, a Hall of Fame season wing in the, in the Hall of Fame. If Hack were playing today, though, I can promise you he would probably be one of my favorite players, if not my favorite. He probably would have also been suspended indefinitely by the league long before his career was over. So 12 years might have been a pie-in-the-sky goal at that point if he was playing today. But give me Harold Baines or Jack Morris over Hack Wilson when it comes to Cooperstown, in my mind. I wanted to talk about Hack because he's not in the category of Gabby Hartnett or Gabby Street, uh, but we do talk about Hack Wilson a good bit here on this pod, usually because of that 1930 season and usually because of those 191 RBI. It, just how impressive is that record? The no, closest. It's ridiculous. Oh, it, it's absolutely ridiculous because people had to be getting on in front of him as well. Remember that. I mean, he's right. He hit a lot of home runs, but you only get one RBI if it's a solo shot. The closest anybody has come to this mark since I've been alive was in 1999 when Manny Ramirez knocked in 165. That year, Manny hit 333 with 34 doubles and 44 home runs, yet he was still 26 RBI short. That's like an entire month's worth of runs driven in for most like MVP level candidates. Right. 
second to Wilson's 1930 season in RBI is Lou Gehrig, who just happened to do it the very next season when he knocked in 185. Every other serious challenger to this mark was in, in the 1920s or 1930s, other than that that Manny Ramirez seer, uh, season. I'm, I'm willing to wager Manny didn't have 18 sacrifice bunts. No, I bet, <laughs> I'm guaranteeing you he did not. I don't even think he has that in his entire career, Little League uh, included. I would guess not. Yeah. So there you go. There's Hack Wilson, somebody we've talked about an awful lot, but... Now we now we can say we've done an entire deep dive on him. Nice. Something I want to point out is in in 12 years, he put together a career 38.7 war. Not bad. It's not bad. Again, for me, not Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, Hall of Fame, you got guys that aren't in. Let's see. Dale Murphy's career war is 46.5, which I thought it would be a little bit higher than that. But he (laughs) needs to get in. All right, Mark, that's going to be enough of our rambling here it's time to get into the final segment of the show so uh, let's jump on in to wax packs The regular season hasn't started yet, Mark, so we are going to do a little exhibition here for the next uh, couple of weeks. We're going to we're going to shake it up here. The the current way that we've done Wax Packs Heroes, we've been doing it for several years now. It works. Everybody. Well, I can't say everybody. I know we had and I say had because I I can't imagine they still listen to this podcast since every week they sent me private messages about how much they hated Wax Packs Heroes. <laughs> We have uh, our detractors, yes. The majority of listeners really enjoy Wax Packs Heroes. We're going to shake it up a little bit. We're going to we're gonna play with the format a little bit here uh, because, frankly, when you have to do this every week, it becomes a little bit repetitive. So we're going to do something here. Uh, we're still going to call it Wax Packs Heroes. It's more of War War. Remember the card game War where two people would flip over cards and whoever had the highest card would then take both cards and... You would keep going until somebody ran out of cards. So another game based on pure strategy and talent. Yes. Well, that's that's the way we do it here. Yeah. So we're gonna play a version of that. So Mark, I've got two baseball card packs as usual here in my hands. Let's see, these are 1988 Donruss, some actual wax packs here. And what we're gonna do, Mark, we're each gonna get nine cards. And uh, we're gonna go head to head, card to card. So we're not going to just total up my cards and then see if you can beat it. I'm going to take one of your cards, one of my cards, and they're going to fight. They're going to physically fight. And whoever's card loses, I'm just going to rip up right here. It's very, very final. We're going to do that by using the baseball reference war of the year of the cards, which as I said, in this case, 1988. As always, we've got some things that are going to add or subtract to that. Many of these are are still the same. I've changed one of these. The first one, I'm just going to say any 80s baseball aesthetics that are on the card. That's going to cover the real stirrups, the glasses, the mustache, the eye black, the flip downs, dual ear flapped batting helmets, maybe even batting without batting gloves. We're going to we're just going to kind of go with the flow and we'll take a vote if it equals an 80s baseball aesthetic. 
tenth of a point for each of those. Still things like two and ones, that kind of stuff, that's going to be a minus uh, tenth of a point. Then all the other things uh, apply. Awards from that year, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young, MVP, All-Star, Gold Glove, that's half a point. Hall of Famer on the card anywhere, that is a whole point. If there are pop culture references available uh, ha- uh, half a point for each of those, unless uh, they appeared on Seinfeld, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, or The Simpsons, then you get a whole point. If they were suspended or mentioned in the Mitchell Report or busted for PEDs, anything like that, during their playing career, that is a minus half a point. And Mark, I think we're going to tweak this uh, Ricky Nolan rule. I think okay. if Ricky Henderson gets pulled, I automatically win that round. If Nolan Ryan gets pulled by either of us, you automatically win that round. Fair enough. And if for some reason, if this ever happens where we pull a Ricky and a Nolan on the same round, then we're going to have to go to the war for that season. We're just going to play with it. We're going to see how it goes. So, Mark, I got a pack here in my left hand, a pack in my right hand. Which one would you like? I just I want to point out that this is an exhibition game and the pressure is so much off of me for selecting a pack. I feel like lighter than a feather. I'm going to go with the right. Right. All right. So I'm going to have to open both packs here. We are just going to go directly from the top, which is good because I see the bottom card in your pack is Tim Raines. So that's good. (laughs) All right. So you're on my right. All right. So I think you're going to probably win this first one, but let's see how it goes here. So your first card is Schwan Dunstan from the Cubs. All right. So let's see. First of all, he's got a mustache, as he always did. He's got eye black here. He usually has Mims bands on, and he's got sweatbands on here, but he's following through with his swing. So I cannot see that they are Mims bands. So I cannot give that to you. Let's see here. These are 1988 cards. Good news for you. He was an all-star this year. Hit 249, 271 on base, nine home runs, 56 RBI, 16 walks in 115 games. Wow. (laughs) He did steal 30 bases, though. Got caught nine times. That's a 76 OPS plus. Let's see. His defense will probably help in the war, though. 1988, only a 1.1. Wow. But he was an all-star, so that'll be a 1.6, and it'll be a 1.8 because of the because of the eye black and the mustache. Let's see if there's right. any pop culture. I'm ready to go forward on this one. I think I got a shot. All right. Remember the 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 was it the Schwanometer out there in the right sh- field? That's right, the Schwanometer. <laughs> the Schwanometer. All right. So you've got a 1.8. My card is pitcher for the Astros, Bob Nepper. Bob had some okay years. Well, after seeing the the low war for for Schwan, I'm feeling like Bob won some games. Yeah, let's see, 1988. Oh, All Star year, All Star year coming off of uh, 1987, where he led the league in losses with an eight and seventeen mark. But 1988, let's see, 14 and five with a 3.14 ERA. 175 innings pitched, 103 strikeouts, a 106 ERA plus. Mentioned he was an all-star this year, and that is a war of 2.2. I need to go no further. Uh, I've won that round. And Schwan Dunstan, that's, can you you hear that? That Schwan just got ripped up. I I just want to make a request. If, If you pull an 88 Greg Jeffries, don't rip it up, man. I would have, I would have given... 
you know, years off my life for an 88 Jeffries. Well, I've got 8,000 88 Jeffries cards. So it's, it's a okay. matter of principle. So this is interesting. So right now there is a woman who's getting some umpire innings in spring training here in the big leagues. I saw that. It's been a while. Yeah. So in 1988, which is the season of what we're looking at, remember Pam Postema? Of course. She made it all the way up to double A. Well, citing his religious beliefs, he said that, uh, I just don't think a woman should be an umpire. There are certain things a woman shouldn't be, and an umpire is one of them. Women were created to be feminine. I don't think they should be competing with men. Oh, boy, I'm going to stop. Wow. Yeah, that was controversial when he said it. Now it's just like no one would say it. Yeah, so here, this is my Bob Nepper card. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna take the win, but I'm gonna rip up Bob Nepper right there. As Anshawan Dunstan, Bill James noted that Dunstan was an eternal rookie. I saw a player that. who continued to the end of his career to make rookie mistakes. I remember him having a gun though. Oh yeah, he used to fire that thing across there. All right, here we go, Mark. Your uh, second card. I am up one to nothing. Your second card is. I do not remember this guy. Infielder for the Mariners, Domingo Ramos. I have not heard that name in a while. Let's see. Domingo Ramos. Wow. He played for 11 years in the big leagues. Debuted in 1978. So most of those were before I was following baseball. Let's see. In those 11 years, six with the Mariners, two with the Cubs, and then parts of seasons with the Angels, Cleveland, New York, and Toronto. 1988, he split between Cleveland and the California Angels. Appeared in 32 games, 230 average, 269 on base. No home runs, five RBI, and a 45 OPS+. plus. That is good for a minus 0.1. Good news for you is he's got a mustache. Okay. <laughs> nice. So I'm just, we'll look, but I'm guessing that he does not have much in the way of pop culture references. Probably not. So you're probably going to end up with a straight zero here. So let's see. My card is as a New York Yankee. I'm going to guess. Yeah, I'm going to guess I'm going to win this one. It's Rick Roden. I think you got it. Yeah, I think so, too. But we'll do our due diligence. Domingo Ramos, three straight seasons with the Mariners hit below 200. (laughs) I just wanted to point that out. The Dave Valley of his his own time. Let's see. Rick Roden, 16 years in the big leagues. Eight with Pittsburgh. Five with the Dodgers. He only pitched for two years with the Yankees. That's odd. And I see why, because it's 87 and 88, and that was my prime Yankee time, because that's when Ricky was on the Yankees. So I just assumed that he had always been there, I guess, and then finished up in 89 with Houston. In uh, 1988, with the Yankees, he went 12 and 12, 4.29 ERA, 197 innings, pitched 94 strikeouts, a 92 ERA plus, and that is good for a war of 1.1, plus he's got a great mustache which will mean I win that round as well. So far, I like this one format. You know, I'm not sure Domingo Ramos is is a guy that's going to win a lot of head-to-head war. No, I I don't think so. Let's see here. All right, your next... Oh, I thought that was a Greg Jeffries. (laughs) (laughs) No, but it is a New York Met. It is Lee Mazzilli. Mazzilli played for a few different teams. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think probably that 86 Mets team is the, it's the one that most people remember him for. 
Let's see. In 1988, it was his final year. Oh, no, he started in 89 with the Mets. Let's see. 68 games, a 147 average, 227 on base, no home runs, 12 RBI, a 17 OPS plus. <laughs> You're just as bad at this format as you were at the other one <laughs> this last year. It's a it's minus 1.2 war. Yeah, I will say this. It looks like he's got a batting helmet with no ear flaps, and he is only wearing one batting glove. So I'm going to give you two tenths of a point there. Okay, cool. Uh, so that'll only be a minus one. Now, there is a chance that Lee Mazzilli, and I don't remember off the top of my head, may have been on Get Metzmerized, but I don't Ooh. think he was. Let's see. He was also caught up in the Pittsburgh drug trials. Oh, well, here we go. Mazzilli ended up acting at the end of his career, starring as Tony in an off-Broadway production of Tony and Tina's Wedding. Nice. So it was a, was a good-looking dude. Yeah, and I think he was from New York. I, like, I think Yes, Brooklyn, I believe. Yeah, so, I mean, he was really popular there. I mean, a, a local guy, Mets win the World Series, yeah, so... Let's see. I am going to give you a uh, half a point for that. So you're only going to be at a minus half a point. So far, so good. Yeah. <laughs> Let's see. And I have got a rated rookie card here. So he might not have played in the big leagues at this point. It is none other than uh, Yankees fans favorite Jack McDowell. Black Jack. Musician. Well, true. I mean, there's some there's some pop culture points right there as band. Yeah. Let's see. 12 years in the big league, seven with the White Sox, two with the Angels, two with Cleveland, one with New York. And what a year it was. 1988. He did pitch 26 games, 26 starts, five and 10 record, 158 innings pitched, uh, 84 strikeouts, a 100 ERA plus. And that is good for a war of 0.9 plus the pop culture. I'm going to go ahead and say that is another win. For, uh, for the good guys. Do you lose any points for flipping the bird to the crowd? <laughs> I would frankly call that pop culture. <laughs> That's a good point. I mentioned that he has got several bands. Stick Figure, I think, is the one I know most of. This is not Nardcore music <laughs> that, we, uh, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. This is just regular core music, I guess. <laughs> core. Yes. All right. So that is another win for me. I'm up three to nothing. I got to bring up a Seattle connection here. November 93, McDowell and Pearl Jam vocalist Eddie Vedder were involved in a barroom brawl. Against each other? Vedder Vedder being arrested for public drunkenness and disturbing the peace. Yeah, but were they fighting together or were they like teaming up? Because I know Eddie Vedder is a big baseball fan. Yeah, I think they were teaming up. All right. (laughs) It's like a wrestling match. It's just those two and all the other heels are in the ring with folding chairs (laughs) and very random combo. Yeah, that really. But you know what? He was a musician. Eddie Vedder likes baseball. So, I mean, frankly, it makes sense. I can see it happening. One of the other things about this new format is I only have to the winner only has to win five. So we could only pull. I guess that would still be 10 cards, which is. You know, pretty good number, but I am currently up three to nothing. All right. Your next card is another New York Met. This pack sucks. I'm just going to tell you. This card is also woefully off center, but I don't think it's going to affect the value of infielder Bill Allman. 
Not mm-hmm. Almond, Bill Allman, who we have never had in Wax Facts Heroes. But yet, you know, I, I, I joke, he played for 15 years in the big leagues. Again, though, he debuted in 1974. So I was two years old at that point. Let's see, 1988 was his final year in the big leagues. It was with the Phillies. Of those 15 years, six with the Padres, three with the Bucks, two with the Mets, two with the A's, two with the White Sox, and then Montreal and Philly for a year each. Only appeared in 20 games, hit 115, 15 OPS plus. You can see where this is going. A minus 0.2 war. Nothing on this card is going to help you at all. First round draft pick by the Padres in 74. Yeah, number one overall. Oh, wow. Yeah, you're right. First pick overall. I mean, I guess you probably don't want to give up on him, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it says here in 81, starting shortstop for the White Sox, he hit 301 with 16 stolen bases. And got MVP votes that year. Career-wise, 4.64. Yeah, not not great. Mm. Nothing else here is going to help you out. So, yeah, that's his war. Did I say that uh, his war was a minus, uh, minus 0.2? Nice. All right. Another good one. And I don't even need to look at this. Now, this is odd because I have got a Don Russ Diamond Kings Tim Raines, which is the last card in your pack. So it's it's almost as if my pack is starting at the end of your pack. I'm guessing Rock had a, a better year. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm going to we don't even need to go through that. I'm just going to give myself the win there. All right. Well, this one will be fun. you got a shot here. Okay. Uh, you've got a Don Ross MVP card, and it is none other than Wally World with the Los or California Angels. Wally back or Wally Backman, Wally Joiner. There's a Wally. There's, there's not many Wallys in baseball, and yet I just confused two of them. Let's see. Wally Joiner, 16 years in baseball. Set, well, in the big leagues, seven with the Angels, four with the Royals, four with the Padres, one with Atlanta. 1988 with the Angels, 158 games, 295 average, 13 home runs, 85 RBI, 120 OPS plus, and that is good for a 3.2 war. You know what? I think I'm going to give you a half or a, a tenth of a point of war because the Angels are wearing pullover jerseys here. Ooh, sweet. Which is, yeah, that's a good look. So that'll yeah. be a 3.3. Let's check for some other things here. I got, he was in a couple of movies produced by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, boy. That is a cottage industry in Utah. You <laughs> I'm go, sure. You go around, and there are billboards for these movies that I have never heard of, and they do really well, and they're, like, only released in, like, Utah and Idaho, and then they're, they're straight to video. But, yeah, that's a cottage industry there. The, the characters he played were Brother Angel. Oh, yes. Which is cute. Oh, yeah. Brother Angel. uh, I got it. Brother Jensen. So he was a brother in both. Okay. Let's see here. Some interesting trade. He was traded for Bip Roberts at once, and then he was traded with Reggie Sanders and Kilvio Veras. There's a name I've heard for a while. To Atlanta from the Padres for Brett Boone and Ryan Klesko. Hmm. That's not bad. All right. So that's a 3.8 for Wally World. All right. And my card, this is going to be interesting. Oh, but he is a Hall of Famer. Wade Boggs and the pop culture references. I mean, you got the Simpsons right off the bat. You got Cheers and you've got It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. And 1988, he was an all-star 
and came in sixth in the MVP voting. So I'm going to go ahead and say that even though you got your best card, Wade had an 8.3 war that year. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and... Uh, wow, that clinches it. That's five. <laughs> Well, that was fun. Well, you know what? I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. But the good thing here is I can just put the rest of these cards aside and we can use it for the next next one. I don't think I want the rest of them. Well, what I'll do, what I'll do is I'll shuffle them. How about that? Just okay, to, that's fair enough. That's a new format right there. I'm not going to lie. Wax Packs Heroes, uh, it takes a long time for us. I edit the heck out of it because there's a lot of pauses for us to look up things and compare stuff. And uh, plus it ends up being about half an hour long, which cuts into what we can do with the rest of the show. So I enjoyed this format. I mean, it was very quick because I did win five to nothing. It could be, you know, four to five might be an outcome. So, you know, we could get to be opening just as many cards, but let us know how this goes. We're going to do it at least a couple more times. Give it a shot. You know, give it, give, give it a chance. That's all we're saying. Let the kids play. Give it a chance, and when we get to the regular season, we'll make a decision. But I really liked this. It was quick. and Yeah, no, it was fun despite getting completely trounced. Yeah, you really, I mean, I had some good cards here. <laughs> but, I mean, you weren't going to beat Wade Boggs. He has way too many pop culture references alone. No, no, including the WWE. Oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's and he's been on so many TV shows and and I know he acted as a as a cop in some movie that was really bad. And he's a Hall of Famer and he's got the mustache. I mean, come on, you can't be Wade Boggs. All right. So that'll do it. Uh, Exhibition game. But you know what? I had all my starters in there. Rowdy Telez was on the mound again for me. Again. Yeah, we signed him to a big extension during the offseason. I Uh, can see why. He's a two way player now. Yeah. For us. But that is going to do it for uh, Wax Packs Heroes. That's also going to do it for this episode. Thank you, as always, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. If you want some more of us, go ahead and uh, just go to any of the socials. We are at Two Strike Noise. That is at TWO Strike Noise. You can find all of that in the show notes as well. I'll throw the MLBPA uh, URL in there as well if you want to join that and get half off MLB TV. Again, we're not making any money. It's not sponsored. Uh, just trying to help out our listeners. So I know a couple of our listeners did that last year. I heard from them. So I've already done it again this year. It works. It's easy. And yeah, do that. We also have an email address if you want to get a hold of us, Mark. Yeah, you can write to us at two strike noise, spell it out, T-W-O, strike noise at gmail.com. There you go. All right. That'll do it for this week's show. We will see you all again next week on the next episode of Two Strike Noise. Thank you. God bless you. Have a great day. 